We're in Hawaii. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. We are currently scouting a retreat center, potential retreat center. Yes. To bring y'all here with us maybe next year sometime. So you're going to hear waves in the background because we are legit on the water. This place is ridiculous. Yeah, but hopefully you can still hear us even in the midst of all of the background noise. But yeah, talk about magical spaces to get to do these things. Yeah, I kind of feel a little bit like John right now <laughs> because we're so good about like you know, doing it from our garage, doing it from our back room, like being really buttoned up. And John's always like, we just whip out my phone and record an episode while I'm like taking a walk, you know, getting it done wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that about him. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we apologize about any weird audio. Um, But while we were here, so it's been really magical. And uh, there's been a topic that I personally have been grappling with for a Mm. few weeks that I wanted to bring to Danae, because I actually haven't had an opportunity to talk to you about it yet, Danae, um, that I thought maybe people would benefit from hearing. And I'm, I feel like I'm reassured that other people will benefit from it because uh, I reached out to one of my close friends in New York, like, like maybe last week or something about this. Mm-hmm. And she's, I reached out to her in particular because she's just like, she's a fellow seeker. She just, she's another one of my like soul sisters. Like she's just, and she just gets it, you know? And she sent me an audio response back and I was listening to it actually last night and she was saying, oh my God, like this is, it feels like there's something collective with this. Like, Hmm. I feel like a lot of people are in a similar struggle, even if they can't articulate it in the same way. Yeah. So here's what I'll put out there. Um, And this might not be clear or articulate or make sense. I'm, I'm still working through it right now. But a couple weeks ago, I realized that I'm struggling with feeling as though I have lost my connection to spirituality. Hmm. And I don't know if it's spirit, if I've lost my connection to spirit, because I still have the capability or the ability, I guess, to connect to spirit when I'm like in nature or sometimes when I'm like being really present with my kiddo. Um, So I find that I'm able to, tap in in moments to what I feel is like my higher power, right? Like whatever that, that thing is, but the actual ritual, I suppose that spirituality can bring. I don't say religion because for me, it doesn't, it's not organized. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm also not, I'm, I'm not really a follower of like Western, more Western religions, but, and for many people, I don't know that that would feel like a big deal, even though as depth psychologists, we would say that it is. Um, but for me, it was a really like jarring realization, uh, that in a sense almost like took my breath away to the point where I feel like every time I've talked about it, which has only been, I think three times. So I talked about it in therapy and then with two of my friends, um, I've like ended up in tears. Mm. Um, and like, here's what I will say, you know, COVID did a number, I think on all of our abilities to like carve out time and space for ritual Mm -hmm. and for spirituality. Also, I have a kid, a new kid, a young kid, a new enough kid. (laughs) She's only two and a half. So COVID and her happened at the same time. Yeah. Uh, That completely upended my routines and, and what I used to hold sacred about like my mornings were, were my time 
and I don't have that anymore. My mornings are no longer mine, and I feel like they won't ever be again. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I, I'm just, I'm struggling with this feeling of loss, this feeling a little bit about being untethered, but the deeper part of it is, so for me, spirituality came into my life when I was 25. Um, I had a long stretch of not feeling connected to anything greater than me and actually like denying it altogether, um, really toying with even the idea of like atheism, uh, the idea of, you know, being an agnostic. Like I wasn't really sure where I kind of landed. I, I grew up, my mom, I mean, is what she considers Methodist. We went to a Methodist church when I was growing up. Um, and from a pretty young age, I, I pushed away from the traditional Western, what I felt, you know, patriarchal, judgmental Christian ideology mm-hmm. or church. Um, you know, my mom had a kid. So I was 10 when my brother was born. We were actually, we were regular churchgoers at that point, um, every Sunday at least. And I remember when my mom had my brother, so it was with her boyfriend at the time. Uh, she was really judged by the fact that she had this kid like out of wedlock. Hmm. And I rem- I don't remember feeling the judgment, but I remember her talking about it. And I remember her being understandably hurt and angry about it and kind of being like, no, fuck these people, blah, blah, blah. And so we left. We stopped going to church. And I don't actually don't think we've gone. I don't remember ever going back since with her anyway. Uh, so for me, that was kind of it. Um, she still, you know, considers herself Christian, but um, all that to say, 25, I found my reconnection to spirituality through yoga, meditation, Buddhist psychology, um, and more Eastern mm-hmm. traditions, more Eastern um, spiritual approaches. And it was, I mean, it saved my life, honestly. Mm-hmm. And more so recently, I've said to myself, okay, so let's let's just reconnect. Let's just go back to what has always been your way to tap in. And it doesn't feel authentic to me anymore. Um, yes. Ever since I've moved to LA, actually, I've really disconnected from yoga. I mean, nothing personal today. I, I don't like yoga in LA. I think it's- Did you say nothing personal yeah, today? I did. Well, <laughs> I'm like, you're, well, you're a yogi. Am I a yogi in LA? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are. And you've been in LA a lot longer than me. And you've been mm. connect, you're more connected to the yoga world in yeah. LA than I am. And yeah. my, my yoga connection is more in New York. And I find the yoga in LA, listen, it's just, it's very, it's very whitewashed. Mm. I have a hard time with it. It's as a blonde woman, it's like a lot of blonde fit yogis and mm. um, it's very commoditized. I don't like it. I never have, actually. It's mm-hmm. always been very fitness driven. Mm-hmm. I found one studio once with somebody who, you know, is a dear friend of mine who changed that for me. I mean, his it was like we called it yoga church. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just really powerful. I'm unfortunately too far from that now. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I, I guess to kind of shorten this or kind of wrap it up, I'm struggling because the ritual part of spirituality that I used to connect to, which was more Eastern. So yoga, Buddhism, I'm struggling with because I feel a little bit like, see, this is the part where I'm having a hard time articulating it. Like I'm part of the problem. So Mm. it's the colonization of the Eastern, especially of yoga. It's the colonization of a lot of like Buddhist principles, you know, seeing Buddhist statues of Buddha in TJ Maxx, for example, Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me feel really gross. Hmm. I went to Bali probably a year before my daughter was born. And you know, I've talked about this. Bali made me feel gross. It's the best way that I can describe it. 
It was beautiful. I had a really hard time enjoying it because it was so white. And all of the indigenous Balinese people work for the rich white people mm-hmm. who are in spirit, quote unquote spirituality mm-hmm. and make a business of and, and make money on spirituality. I had a really hard time with it. And I'm grappling internally as a white person in this world with how do I not be part of the problem? How do I be an ally? See, I'm getting emotional. But how do I still find that connection to spirit? You know, maybe it's changed. Maybe I have to find something different. Um, what's that balance, you know? Well, so big conversation. I feel like you talked about a lot of things there, right? And so let's start with, I mean, the bigger context of the conversation is what is God, spirit, source to you, right? Um, I don't think of like, I think for me, religions are a beautiful expression of the search that we have always had as humans to understand why we're here. I have a very different relationship at 43 with religion than I did when I was young. I too um, used to go into black churches, especially. I love you, but I'm going to call you out and say that there's just like a ton of homophobia, a ton of misogyny and a lot of things that, you know, from like a young perspective didn't add up for me. And I was like, if this is what God is, then I think, you know, religion is dumb. I think I was young and I like was very like, I used to make fun of religion. Yeah, same. And similar to what you're describing, I think my access point into a relationship with spirit was through my body, um, through feeling like I came back into my body in a somatic way through yoga. And, you know, I think to me, what you're describing is the the relationship I think all of us have with the um, what it is to be a seeker, right? Like what it is to go through those ebbs and flows. I very much have had points where yoga wasn't bringing forward what it had brought for me in the past, right? And I would feel frustration with that. I used to feel mm-hmm. a lot of solace and peace. And I went through periods where I would go through, go to yoga classes in LA and be like, nothing is working. Nothing yeah. is giving me the feeling that it used to give me. And, you know, it's really interesting because I feel like, and th- I mean, it's interesting that it often comes back to this, but not what I hear you describing or and I don't want to project, but this is a little bit of what my experience was with it, is the loss of self that came in early motherhood for me. And I think that there are ways when you are thrust into the biggest cataclysmic shift for the psyche we as women will experience, which is that shift from maiden to mother. I have been one thing in my body, in the world, identifying and experienced by the world in one way. And all of a sudden that's shifted in such a cataclysmic way that it really becomes like, I don't even know how to ground myself in this. I, this, like, you know, all the changes in my body, all the changes in the responsibility, I am not my own anymore. So who am I? Um, I think that is destabilizing to the human psyche in a way that we really don't hold space for in Western cultures, right? Like it used to be in collectivist societies, I know I always come back to this, but it used to be that um, there was like a group of women surrounding you and supporting you. And this is what this is. This is what this feels like. This is let's cross the bridge together. We weren't sort of left alone to make sense of this the way that we are. And for me, what I have really come to understand, and this has been my journey through COVID and 
in a lot of ways, um, I guess I've been privileged in being able to be in this space because my kiddo is a little bit older. So there's ways that like he would be in school and like some of those pressures that I know that you had with a younger child in the midst of COVID, I didn't have as much of. Um, but it was a returning to self in that. And this is something I talked with my therapist a lot about. And she used to like really get on me that I used to talk about spirit source um, as something outside of me, as like an externalized force. And I've come to understand it, my understanding, as it um, being something within me, meaning the way that I understand God, spirit, source, energy now is if God is the ocean, whatever you feel comfortable with calling that, those of you who have, um, you know, a visceral response to God. Fair enough. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure, you can call my, him. It's one of my favorite descriptions. You can call I've him Care Bear Sarah probably. You're like, whatever <laughs> I resonates. I just love that term, Sky Daddy. Sky Daddy it is. <laughs> um, whatever that energetic source yeah. is, if that is the ocean, we are little cups of the ocean. Mm-hmm. We are not separate from that. And so the more that I have sort of said, it's time to let spirit be the leading force in my life, what I have found is it has really just been a returning to a capital S self, a returning to like taking up space within the world as myself. It's really about my relationship with me more than anything else. I agree with that. And I actually think that that what you're saying is is probably what's been driving me on this recently, because I think so Logan's going to be I don't know she's like two years and let's say nine months, something like that. I think I have started feeling an internal shift around wanting to get back to and and kind of coming out of that that fog, right, mm-hmm. of early motherhood. Also, we're all coming out of the fog of COVID, right? So I think there's it, it's com- it's combined. Um, and also, like I've been just doing a lot of work on my like relationship and um, reclaiming of self and reclaiming of like bodily autonomy as a woman, right? Like anybody who follows my Instagram has probably seen me talking about that a few times. Um, and so it all feels connected to my, my ability finally to like see the forest through the trees and, and want to reconnect to self. Right. So yes, I think that that, I agree. I'm, I'm, I've felt the same, you know, you and I have talked about how that's one of our similarities, like finding God through our body and, and what that felt like. And, and I think that's what that is. I think that came because of the realization of like, oh, God is within me, right? Spirit is within me. My struggle is that my conduit to, um, I don't know if I want to say being in the presence of, because that makes again, feel like it's outside of self, but my conduit to feeling connected to maybe even that part of myself was through either yoga, right? Meditation, whatever it might be. Um, and even like the essence of more of the Eastern traditions, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I've talked to you before about, I went to India when I was, I don't know, maybe 19 or 20. And uh, I cried when I left. I didn't want to leave. And this was actually way before yoga. I hadn't even had any practices yet. I was, like I said, 19, 20. Um, I knew in my bones that I was connected to this space. And I was all over Asia. It was very specifically India where I was like, oh my God, I've I've been here before. Like I've lived, I've lived here before. This was a past life of mine. There's still not a question in my gut about that. Um, But what I'm struggling with is what I used to reach for to be that conduit now feels icky to me. It now feels 
I feel like I'm appropriating something that's not mine. And I'm very aware of not wanting to continue to be part of the colonization, like part of the problem um, and the pain, the suffering of so many indigenous people around this world. Um, and I believe that the commodification of yoga is exactly an example of that. Do I believe that it's brought healing to many people? Yes. But the way that it's been done now, stepping back as who I am now, with the knowledge I have now and the experiences I have now, it feels icky to me as it currently exists, right, in our country. So I'm struggling with what is my conduit if it's not that. So let's talk about shame for a second, mm -hmm. because I feel like there's something in what you're saying is there's some sort of a shame or a weight that I'm taking on that I'm wondering is, is completely your boulder to carry. And listen, some of this is easier for me to speak to as a woman of color without a lot of... Um, I don't want to put the white guilt also on the people of color. This is why I'm grappling with it internally, by the way. Well, it, you know, it's this thing of like, how do I, how do I say this in a way that feels um, not dismissive of like the complexity and the weight of what I hear in what you're saying. And yeah. I, I don't want to minimize that. And it's this thing of you can't get sick enough to make other people healthy. You can't get poor enough to make other people not struggling in their finances, right? Like you, first of all, and, and I, I think it's a larger conversation in that I think you are meant to evolve in what brings you those things. And I think that is more of what's happening for you, to be honest, gut response as, as your friend. But I think that there's this thing of like, I feel like if the appropriation thing is tough, right? Because it's, you are not someone who does not care, Vanessa. You are not someone who is not really conscious of being present with whatever people are feeling in any moment in time. And you shaming yourself for things that, I mean, you know, it's like, let's get into the conversation about like Bikram Shadhori. I don't know how you say his name, but like running around the country suing people for like appropriating his method of yoga i mean like and he lost that lawsuit because you cannot is that what you're talking about? yes yeah. you yeah, cannot yeah. like package and um what's the like word label market yeah you can't do that with movement and so i understand what you're saying and also still like when you break down what yoga is when you break down what meditation is those aren't specific to eastern cultures those are humanistic elements of presence. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not minimizing what people are speaking to when they talk about cultural appropriation. Believe me, I understand it from the perspective of what people are saying, you know, um, when Black people talk about it, for instance. And I think that sometimes there is a way that we just get so, like, caught in the minutiae of things that we're missing the big picture of humanity. And I know that's like, you know, I think sometimes where I disagree with people on some of these conversations, like we had these conversation in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement when people would say things like white people need to just like sit down and listen and go and um, educate themselves and I had a really strong feeling of disagreement, you know? I don't know that that's supportive to anyone. I don't know that continuing to perpetuate our difference and our otherness is what we need in this moment in time. I think 
you know, it's not an I don't see color conversation that I'm talking about. It's not an I don't see culture conversation that I'm talking about. But how do I meet culture with curiosity and an openness to seeking to understand versus I should just stay out of this because it's not mine. I don't think that's super helpful to anyone. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I, I agree with you. And I actually, I, I think that's where I'm at is like, what is, what's the balance? It's almost like I'm, 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 I don't want to give it up entirely. Like something that I feel so connected to, but I want to do so with respect. And so then that's the part that I'm like, I don't know what that looks like because I actually don't know that I have anybody to even ask because everybody I know in that world in Los Angeles is white. Well, the curiosity (laughs) is the respect to me and the presence and like the not like assuming anything. I think there's just ways that we make things into such a thing, you know? I think I can, like, in a little bit, it's just like another way that we're, like, flogging ourselves and putting pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And it's like, Jesus, can we be a little human with ourselves? Can I be a little, like, this This makes me feel good <laughs> in my body. And, of course, I don't want to listen. I, I understand some of the goat yoga <laughs> yeah. and naked yoga conversations. Like, I hear that, and yeah. that's not wrong, right? Yeah. But, like, I think I have to, like, only learn yoga in a specific way from a specific teacher who is qualified. No, man. Like, I just think it's another way that we are in the space of othering and in the space of making things into things that don't, you know, and some of that's my privilege and being a woman of color. And it's a little bit the hill I'm willing to die on in saying, I don't know that that's all that helpful to me. It's my perspective, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. The people that I've, I've actually reached out to, I guess, outside of my therapist to kind of talk about this with, in particular, I'm reaching out to people in my community who are women of color and who share similar practices or have shared similar practices with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friend Kristen's one of them. I actually am like connecting with Inertia next week, who's one of our colleagues. Um, because I want to hear different takes on it, you know, but yeah, it's just, it, it's really this feeling of being untethered. Yeah. I mean, the last thing, and I, I want to come back to what you're saying about untethered, but the last thing I will say about what you're talking about is if suffering is a problem in the world, do I want to be a part of perpetuating suffering or do I want to be a part of perpetuating healing, right? And I remember, and I know it often comes back to Black Lives Matter because to me that was like a really, um, obviously a time that I felt really impacted by because it brought up so much that was really sort of conflicting, conflicting, um, confronting is the word I was looking for, confronting for me around like what it is to raise a a little Black boy in a a country that all of a sudden I was like very confronted with like, oh my God, do people like genuinely hate my child? Like this, is, this feels terrifying for me. And I remember, and I can't remember if I've shared this um, with you on the podcast before, but one of my friends said to me like, and I was like in fear and he was like, nah, sis, like we're not going out like that. He was like, black joy is the strongest revenge to white supremacy possible. And it changed me so deeply. Um, 
I feel like my resistance is my joy. My resistance is now I'm going to live a full, beautiful life that is not um, steeped in oppression because that is what a very specific energy of, you know, people in pain, but that is what sort of perpetuates that. And I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to be a part of the healing. I'm going to be a part of connection. I'm going to be a part of people who see me and see something that is a stereotype and a limiting understanding of what black people are. I'm going to invite them to get to know me before they make a judgment, you know? And I remember when I was a kid, I can't remember if I shared the story with you before, but like one of my like deepest understandings of racism came when um, I, I rode horses and I became really good friends with this girl and her mother was like, I loved her. Like, I just was like obsessed with her mom. I thought she was like the funniest, like most amazing. Like she would do all these cool things with us. And I remember we were going to a horse show once and we were like, I don't remember what we were doing that it was like nighttime, but I was with her, I think. And I was sleeping in a room with her and her mom. So I'm giving you that context to understand why it was like so assaulting to my nervous system. (laughs) But She was like, it's so surprising that my mom is so nice to you. My mom hates black people. And I remember like my like little inner little girl was like heartbroken. Like I was so because I loved her mom so much, you know, and I remember just being like, oh, her mom hates me. Oh, God. And I was like the rest of the trip just like really went like inward and was like so like just like felt really like unsafe and like totally changed the energy of our relationship. And I remember I went home and I told my mom, you know, what she had told me. And my mom was like, well, Danae, and this is complex even in and of itself, right? She was like, well, Danae, people have ideas sometimes about what black people are. And so what you're doing is you're changing her idea of what black people are. And that's, that's a good thing. We have to show them that some of the stereotypes that they believed about black people aren't true. Now, that was a, <laughs> like for my little young psyche, that was a weight to carry, right? Like I, I interpreted that in a way that was like problematic in a lot of ways because I think I, I took that as like, you know, there's like that model minority thing. Right. Like I need, I to, need be to be perfect be, right. now so that people think that black people aren't whatever they've held as the stereotype of black people. But I still think there was some wisdom in what my mom was saying. And it's this thing of like, it's hard to hate up close, you know, and yeah. that was... One of the things that I took from one of my favorite movies is um, American History X, right? Because it talks about like when we are with one another, not in the space of other, not in the space of your culture is different from my culture. And it's really hard for me to, you know, drop out of the understandings that I grew up with or that the people around me had about whoever you are, whatever this is, it becomes really hard to not just see the human that is standing next to me and loving that human for who they are. And so I think I always come back to that. Like, how do we just be curious about one another and take all of the shoulds and take all of the like pressure points? And I think the most beautiful way to hold Eastern cultures and traditions with reverence and respect is to meet them with curiosity Mm -hmm. and allow yourself to be human. You know what I mean? It's, you're not meant to be perfect, babe. None of us are. And I think that it just creates more division when we feel like we have to be with one another, you know? That rooster was perfectly timed. <laughs> it's just like, wake up, y'all. Um, yeah. I, 
I want what came up for me too is um, I don't know if you remember me reading this book, but the, uh, Sally Cohn um, wrote a book called The Opposite of Hate, and it was like right during when like right around the time when Trump was first elected. Um, and she basically talked about this. She like went to, you know, she used to be a commentator for, um, she actually was a liberal commentator on Fox. Um, and then she, now she, I think maybe CNN or MSNBC, I don't know. But anyway, she's had like death threats and, you know, everything on, on Twitter and stuff like that. And so she actually researched and went to the home of people who literally wrote on Twitter, like, I hope you die in a fire and suffer and, you know, just like the craziest shit. And so she found people who were willing to like bring her into her home. And she like went through this whole experience of like, it's like some grandma in like, you know, Montana who has like six grandkids and she's like lovely and served her tea and like had a conversation with her face to face and was like, but you wrote this thing on Twitter. Like it was such a fascinating book because she did this whole process of going through it. She talked about like Rwanda. She went to Rwanda, did all this research on that. Like how do neighbors, literal neighbors and family members get to the point where they can turn on each other and commit these horrible acts. And it just was, it was an amazing book. I highly recommend it. But um, anyway, that's just what came up for me. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's like, I'm, I guess what feels so hard for me right now is because I'm in the space of holding all of these truths because I, I totally agree with that. I'm holding the truth that you're bringing forth. And also I'm holding the truth of like feeling like I need to be cautious in a certain sense. Um, because like going back to like, I don't want to be, I don't want to perpetuate a problem. You know, like I want to, I want to come into this with more awareness than I obviously had at 25, you know? And, and I think just as a culture, we have more awareness now of some of these conversations that we weren't having 15 years ago, you know? And I'm glad these conversations are happening. You know, it, it you know, if I, we said in the beginning, we were, we're in Hawaii right now. And one of the things, one of the conversations I was having with one of our guides was, um, do you have connections to people? We're specifically on the big island right now. Do you have connections to people that are part of the indigenous people of this specific land, right? Because Hawaii is so diverse. I mean, every island has their own, you know, culture and tradition and people. And um, I, and I asked her, do you have connections to that? Because if I were to come to this space, it feels very important to me that we have somebody here that represents that culture. And we have, I don't know whether it's like a few hours together, an understanding of, and I'm not, don't come here and like throw a luau because that feels gross to me. I don't want that. You know, I don't want a performative, like, here's what my people are. I want to understand and pay homage to the fact that we are on land that was stolen from these people. We are in a colony right now, essentially in Hawaii. And I, I just, it's, so that for me feels like the holding. It's like the I can still enjoy where we're at. I can still see this beautiful land and this beautiful home that we're in and and go on our excursions and feel joy and feel connected to the people. And the, the man who owns this property is lovely and beautiful. And, and I want that other part. I want to make sure that there is homage paid and there is an understanding and a curiosity and let's be able to ask questions if that comes up and 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 just pay homage, I guess, is, is the word that keeps coming up for me. Yeah, I think that that's and- important. Yes, and, right? Like, I feel like it's, can that be my living homage versus, like, because sometimes I feel like the the hour or two of, like, having an Indigenous person come and speak to us, it's like, oh, that made me feel good for an hour or whatever. But, like, 
how are you living the embodiment totally. of that That was actually day? part of the because conversation too, is it was like, how does the money go back into, how does the, you know, are you supporting the the population, like the schoolings, like what, what is exactly. that component? I think is also very important, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's like, if we go back to the conversation about yoga, ultimately what these spiritual practices are, yoga is union, right? Like yoga is about like the oneness. I do think like, on a larger zoom out spiritual level to me, it is also the understanding that some of these things that we're getting caught in the weeds of are the things of the tangible uh, physical realm that are not the bigger truths. When we leave these bodies, what will not matter is the color of our skin, the like parts of the world that we came from. Ultimately, all of that was one, you know, um, our socioeconomic status, like all, all of, of those that. things. Yeah. Like those are things that like the news cycles get us really caught up in, frankly, in my opinion, to keep us in fear, to keep us in the space of feeling like there's lack and like there's not enough. And like we need to like, you know, I think I've really had a lot of conversations with men over the last couple of years where I feel like they are feeling an energetic that is similar to what you're describing of like, I don't know what I I can do because I'm just going to say the wrong thing and I don't want to be that guy. And so I'm just like, ah, you know, and I don't know that it's helpful for all of us to feel like I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm just Not gonna terrified do to do anything. Um, I think how do we like have conversations like I think the most beautiful sacred way of meeting anything is saying the offensive thing of like I'm scared I'm gonna say this wrong but I'm just gonna ask you about it because I'm curious and I hope that's okay or whatever right like how do I like be humble enough to not need to have all the answers right like I think there's an an arrogance in like I need to know before I can like be in the space of curiosity where it's like, how can I just be open to like, of course we don't know. Why am I meant to? This isn't my culture. This isn't my, you know what I mean? Um, I think we just got to like meet ourselves first with a lot more grace. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about the idea of cancel culture before and we're both, we, we both feel very similarly, especially as, as therapists, I think coming from where we come from, it's 100% not debatable that shame does not help people grow and learn. Right. It's not debatable. I mean, it's it's a fact. And there is a difference between accountability and canceling. And accountability is important. And account- accountability is, uh, I mean, shit as a therapist, it's something, John and I just wrote a book about it, right? Like own your shit. Accountability is important. Owning your shit and then um, in a sense, like moving forward with that that newfound knowledge. But we can't shame people into yeah. accountability. <laughs> we can't shame people into knowing that whatever that new knowledge is. We can't shame people into being curious. It does the opposite. Shaming shuts down curiosity. And my friend Kristen actually said something very similar to you in that message she sent me yesterday, which was just like part of what is, I think, so hard about this moment that we're in is that we're all, and I'm going to paraphrase because this is never how Kristen would say it, but we're all going to fuck up. And like, can we, can we start to hold each other in the space of like, I'm going to make a mistake and I'm, I'm going to be fumbling around and I'm not going to maybe ask this question in the right way. And, but can that be okay? Because if I'm told, if I'm so worried that I'm going to ask it in the wrong way, or I'm going to offend somebody by asking the question at all, then I don't ask it. That's not moving the needle either. That's not in any way learning or, or becoming closer to that union. Um, and so there's a really interesting, I don't know, there's something really interesting in that too, just 
in a larger macro level, not just my specific struggle that I'm having, which is like, how can we hold all of us, all of ourselves in the space of um, grace for being a messy human that's going to fuck up because <laughs> that's part yeah. of being human. Because I really think so much of the division that like, and this is my perspective that we've experienced certainly in the United States, but like, I don't know, it's, it is, I feel like a response in a lot of ways to cancel culture. Like I see Donald Trump as, you know, we've talked about like the collective shadow element of that, but I also feel like he was a response to a lot of people 100%. feeling like they had no space in the world yeah. where they couldn't like say the wrong thing or be like, you know, considered not woke if they weren't. And I, I have like a real like twitch when I hear like the wokeness, like there's just such a like superiority and lack of humanity. Yeah. And like, I, I, I'll say like, that's a lot of what's made me like pull back from a lot of the like liberal conversations. Well, a lot of hyper liberals too. I mean, listen, you and I, I agree with you hundred percent. The people that are hardcore on one side are just as bad as people that are hardcore on the yeah. other period. Like I you're looking like, in the mirror. <laughs> it's like, can we be a little friggin' human yeah. with each other? And none of us are superior. And with what you were saying, it's like, you know, I think it is personal accountability, but we have become a culture that feel like we are so responsible for holding other, other people, people accountable. And it's like, who made you God? Who decided that's your role? You know, if we believe in karma and in like outcomes playing out as they're meant to, why are we all so certain that it is our job to point the, uh, our, the finger at other people and tell them they're doing life incorrectly? And when you do that, yes. you become the thing that you were speaking against well, and so this is, often. I think the, the struggle that I had so much when I was younger with my understanding of at that time of what I looked at as like Christianity. It was mm. the righteousness yes. that I felt so repelled by, right? And listen, I mean, true Christians, that's not part of their practice, right? Christianity is actually a practice of love <laughs> and acceptance. Um, but the way that it is sometimes portrayed, and it's not just Christianity, a lot of Western religion, I mean, Islam struggles with this too. Even Judaism struggles with this. Um, it, it tends to be a little bit more of like the the yeah, the more patriarchal structures, um, at least from what I can see, it's that, it, but is righteousness is the word that comes up. It's like that feeling of righteousness. And listen, as humans, we can all get into a space of righteousness. Of course. I can get into a space of righteousness, righteousness very easily. That feeling feels awful in my body, right? Mm. It might not in the minute, in the moment, because righteousness and anger feels great when you're in it, you know? The feeling of feeling superior to anything feels awesome when you're in it. It is a drug. Like it feels great. It's a high, you know, um, because for just that moment, you feel enough. You feel worthy. You feel better than somebody else. So if you're better than somebody else, you're not underneath anybody. Right. And it, it sort of points out how much you weren't feeling that in the moment of reaction. Right. right? Like right. that is why my sense of bluster, my bigness becomes so big is because something about this interaction made me feel small. Right. And if I can continue to hold on to my righteousness, then I can continue to hold on to this false sense of I'm better than, yes. which just masks the real feeling, which is I am less than, mm -hmm. right? Which is why so many of us stay in our righteousness because we can't really face the true work of what's actually happening for me is I don't feel enough. Yeah. And we're a culture of I don't feel enough. We're fed you're not enough. Buy this, you'll feel better. Maybe you'll be enough of you, you know, spend this money or do this to your face, like put this in your lips, you know, put this in your boobs. Like we're fed that it's our culture. Um, 
and it keeps us in this like righteous circle of wanting to always be better than somebody else so that I'm never underneath anybody else. Yeah. I feel like to me, I feel closest to spirit source, whatever, when I'm in the space of humility, when I'm in the space of, I don't know, the universe show me, I like, please show me what I need to know. Please help me understand what I can't see. Um, when I am my most humble self, I feel so connected to something bigger because it, it just reminds me that there's a divine unfolding to all of this. The control I feel like I have is always an illusion. Um, and I'm always held, you know, that when I ask for support, when I ask to be shown, something always comes into my world that is the answer. Like some clarity that I haven't had immediately starts to unfold for me. And it just always reminds me, oh, there's there's something bigger at play and I can surrender to that. I don't need to know. I can just ask to be shown the next right step, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's very, I know when I feel most connected, you know, I said this at the beginning, like yesterday we went to a botanical garden and I know for myself, I feel the most connected to spirit when I'm in a state of like awe Mm. over like this earth, Mm -hmm. right? When I'm like staring at flowers that I've never seen before and I'm like, holy shit, like the color, like it's growing out of the side of that tree. Like what? This is, and I just get into this place of like, and that's my nerdness, right? Where I'm just like, oh, I want to know everything about this flower. This is crazy to me that this is a thing, that this exists, you know? And I think when I'm in that space, I know that that's when I'm most connected. And it's like, I'm very aware of that, but I guess it's, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it too, is just as a people, and that's a whole other conversation. I mean, we're so disconnected from that state because we live in these urban sanitized, um, disconnected from nature, uh, states, you know, we, we have to find reverence. Whereas I think sometimes when you're in like a beautiful space like we're right now, I don't have to find awe and reverence. It's everywhere I look. I mean, the sun is coming up as we speak and it's like, it's just, it's mind blowing. Right. And I think for a lot of us, we have to find that and seek that out sometimes. And that's also a muscle. I mean, it's part of what I teach when I teach mindfulness, you know, for anxiety is strengthening the muscle of reverence and awe because it's in that that you actually wake up and look around and go, oh, I'm okay in this moment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I think there's also the inquiry around how do I find reverence within all that I am? that you are just as magnificent as that flower growing out of the tree. Mm. When you really step into the space of being present with that, what you are, what you do, what you have created, like look at the life, like think of the magic in that when you really sit with it, you know, we're just so, yeah, of course I'm a body, I'm a human, I'm, you know, like, but when you really like sit with the miraculous reality that it is to be in this body and what that is and what we intuitively know how to do as we move through the day kind of takes your breath away you know we are not separate even from the nature we Mm -hmm. are that i am that i am you know (sighs) as the sun comes up as the the sun comes up over the ocean um well as usual thank you for listening 
Danae, but also our people. <laughs> um, if you haven't already, make sure y'all are checking out the info about our retreat in January that's coming up. Mm. Um, we probably got, we, we probably talked about it a little bit at the beginning. I'm sure you heard it, but um, first week of January, Carefree Arizona. You know, for those who know us, you know we're going to be grappling with and unpacking a lot of this big stuff that we do and um, connecting to each other in a really human way and um, just breaking out of some of these limiting beliefs that we have um, that keep us small and keep us in a place of righteousness and mm -hmm. projection and all of these fun human traits that we have. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, both of our bio links or web, my website has all the info there if you're interested. Email me if you have any questions. But we want to see you guys. So I love you, you magnificent being. <laughs> I love you, you magnificent being. Let's go watch the sunrise together. Okay, baby. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Cheaper Than Therapy. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. We mean it. We're so excited to announce that we're bringing back our now annual intensive retreat to kick off the new year. We call it From Self-Abandonment to Inner Belonging. It's going to be the first week in January, January 1st through the 6th in Carefree, Arizona at the most incredible location, Savannah Wellness Resort and Spa. Yeah. So during this week long immersive experience, we're going to be supporting you in doing the work that we are most passionate about doing with our clients, but also with ourselves. This work is all about pattern interruption taking a hard look at the ways that we've been living that aren't necessarily in alignment with our full potential. Some of the ways we've been societally conditioned to abandon ourselves as a way to maintain our relationships, no matter how unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. So tangibly what that looks like is working to understand our codependent patterns, doing a deep dive into shadow work, what that is and how we can start to understand our own shadow using the tools from our background in depth psychology to support you in living a life that feels like it's filled with meaning and moving into a more interdependent way of operating in all of our relationships. So if all of this sounds like work that you're feeling called to do in your own life, we would obviously absolutely love for you to join us in January. Yeah. So head to the link in each of our Instagram bios, or you can go to Vanessa's website under retreats for some more information. And we just can't wait to kick off another New Year's together in Carefree. Mm -hmm.